Well, let me invite you, as always, at this time, to join us on Facebook Live because James Marsh has a very, very special one for you today. Don't you, James? Good morning. How are you? I am very well. Uh, I feel now completely consumed by the pressure that you've just put on very very special one for you today yeah to do something special yeah well it is you're not the one who said that but uh, let's just say a lot of attention is going towards today's choice yes uh we have the release of disney's mulan Mm. uh to talk about so but we'll put we'll put that to one side for just a moment because uh you know we want to build up the anticipation and and uh i think it's been done already uh, and what to be you. honest but however yeah no, it's had it's had quite the build-up over the last sort of year or so but um we will get to that in due course uh also there is a uh big netflix movie out this week called the devil all the time starring oh, yeah. tom holland and robert robert pattinson who now seems to be in everything after having sort of been away for a little while uh also there's a taiwanese zombie comedy called get the hell out okay you know so uh, but first of all uh i thought we'd you know just catch up on the uh the release musical chairs schedule that is uh, a continuing sort of ongoing uh, concern all right we say what, what have we world? got so far hey join us on facebook live always lovely to have a chat with you there comments are on as we speak on off you go yeah well the the big thing is that tenet has been released and it is now out everywhere uh and it didn't do what i think warner brothers and the industry at large wanted it to do which was to be the film that got everybody to come back into uh cinemas mm. uh you know, the, the argument was always like, it doesn't matter if you close cinemas or reopen them or whatever, you need something big of quality out there to entice people to come back. Uh, everybody thought Tenet was going to be it or everybody was pushing Tenet to be it. And although, you know, people have gone to see it and it has performed about as well as c- they could have expected, uh, it it hasn't sort of reversed the fortunes of cinema chains and studios. Did they talk too much about it before, do you think? No, I think people just genuinely aren't feeling it yet. You know, they don't feel that enough is being done in cinemas and by the general and there's and the cop with the cooperation of the movie going public yeah. to make it a, a sort of safe and enjoyable experience. I um, think it is as simple as that. Uh, I mean, Hong Kong is actually one of the best and safest and most sensible places in the world for all of that. You know, they are doing social distancing. You have to wear a mask. You're not allowed to drink some food and all the rest of it so that there's no excuse for you to not be wearing your mask at all times. Mm. Uh, You get a temperature check on the way in and all of these, you know, they're doing about as much as can be done and while still allowing people to go in and sit together and watch a film. Mm. Um, That is obviously not happening everywhere, you know, and in certain parts of the world, let's, for an example, let's talk about the US. Why not? Uh, uh, this kind, of, These kind of rules are not being enforced. Peter's uh, just turned up and he is a man on the spot, so he can join in and tell us. Hello, Peter. Sorry, James. Go on. Well, the, the big, you know, not at all. This is great timing, actually, because the big question is to Peter, have you been to see a film in the cinema yet? And if so, what and how was it? And if not, why not? All right. And I suspect... Last time I heard from Peter, he hadn't. Yeah, well, so he, we'll he says uh, 
in the US, cinemas in LA and New York remain closed by law, which played a big part right. as well, I think. If you'd like to join in with this one, because things across town here are going back. Some surprisingly aren't, some surprisingly are. Morning Brew is our page, mm -hmm. and that's where we're going to be, James. Oh, one more yeah, I mean, thing. I, one I more like thing. Sorry. Uh, Steve, yes. Hello, Steve. Tenet was fantastic. Looking forward to the sequel, so I understand what I saw in the first film. <laughs> Well, if you've seen the film, then you should know that you've already seen the sequels. <sighs> but that's a joke just for people who have seen the film. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I heard from a lot of people uh, around Hong Kong that it seemed almost like all of Hong Kong went to the cinema last weekend. Uh -huh. And I think that was because they had been open for a while and people did feel safe enough going. And with the added bonus that there was actually something good to go and see. Right. Uh, I feel that in particularly in the US people just don't feel confident that the cinemas are doing enough and that and that individuals are doing enough you know you just know that you're going to go in and someone's going to sit next to you uh with their red cap on without their mask on coughing and spewing and eating uh eating popcorn and rubbing it all over the seats next to you and saying freedom as often as possible and <laughs> they are perfectly entitled to do that and that's the problem is that there are you know the the cinemas i think is just so desperate to get people in that they are reluctant to impose these kind of restrictions any kind of restrictions um and i think there might there might be a degree of social distancing amongst the the seating arrangements but i think that might be about it and the result is uh, it's it's dangerous is the bottom line yeah have you been rehearsing that because that was actually really good Am I going to read that in the Thank SCM, you, no. in the SCMP, or has it been published in the SCMP? The thing about freedom and the handkerchief and all that. That no, that was spur of the moment genius for me. Blimey. Was, <laughs> well even even a stop clock tells the right time twice a day. Good boy. Um, <laughs> thank you. So uh, so what has happened is that Warner Brothers in particular have got cold feet again, understandably, uh, and they have pushed back their next big release, which was Wonder Woman 1984, which was supposed to be coming out in October. They've now pushed that back to Christmas. Candyman was their big horror movie, which was originally going to come out in the summer and was then was, had been moved to a kind of Halloween date. That has been indefinitely moved to next year, which is essentially... Uh, opened up or cleared way uh so that there are no big blockbusters coming out in september or october right. the next big movie coming out now is no time to die james bond movie mm. which is at the for the time being scheduled for uh, mid-november can i ask you something um okay yeah. it's been a crazy upside down year but Mm -hmm. I've, I found some films that are absolute crackers and they're from this year, but I'd never heard of until I went looking. I mean, have you heard of Summerland, for instance? No. Check it out. That is a superb movie. Oh, she's actually, a, maybe I have. Yeah, it, she's a writer and it's the story of her life and she's really grumpy and the guy comes to, the little kid comes to live with her uh, during the war because he's an evacuee. I mean, it's really, really yes. brill, brill if you're into that I, kind of I, film. I heard, I heard Mark Kermode raving about it on, oh, uh, on the BBC. <laughs> me and Mark. Yes, yes, I believe so. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, there's no, no need for me here, is there? You could just pass no, on. It, I mean, I just wondered if you his heard reviews. of it because it's, it's a really wonderful film. It's not lasers and stuff, but uh, I, I loved it. And I'm figuring there's so much stuff here. Really? 2020? Anyway. Well, I think this is, I mean, this is sort of part of the problem in a way is that because the release schedule has been completely scuppered and because the festival schedule has similarly had to 
uh, either go on hiatus or yeah. be completely reworked. There's a number of films that are falling through the cracks and where possible, they are getting sort of VOD debuts in various countries. But Hong Kong isn't the best. We don't, we're not very well equipped for a kind of premium VOD release. You know, we don't really have that infrastructure in place. Or, you know, and I think the, um, the distributors here are reluctant to do it. Uh, and so what happens is that even more than normal, indie, independent sort of British period films like Summerland, for example, are just not traveling and certainly not mm. coming to this part of the world, um, at least for the time being. So hopefully uh, that will just improve in general. I mean, hopefully cinemas will you know, be able to get their hands on better films as we go along. Like a good example is that there's a film called Greenland, uh, which is uh, Russell, uh, not Russell Crowe, Gerard Butler starring, so end of the world thriller, which has just been postponed in the US as well and pushed to uh, uh, sometime next year. However, uh, here it's due for release next week and it's that's still happening. So uh, we are, you know, it is possible for a film to open in other parts of the world before the US. Yeah. And I think for, for the big studios, that's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to say, well, well, look, well, where is, where are the cinemas open? Where is the market thriving or recovering? Uh, let's get it out there. So at the very least, we can get just a little bit of money back. I'll tell you what I reckon we should do right now. I've got a couple of messages to read out. Peter's telling us about what it's like. Uh, Peter Martin is our man in America, really. He's in Dallas, US. He's a movie buff, movie expert, and he joins him when he can. So we love you, mate. Well, James does. Uh, he says, I haven't been back even now, and mostly it's because I'm concerned about patrons in the cinema, to be frank. I think the cinemas right. themselves are doing the best they can, but judging by the lack of masks every time I go outside, I have no confidence in people following the rules set by cinemas. That's basically what you said, more or less. Just more eloquent. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Exactly, just, just better. Yes. Do, you, do you want to get into it? Should we get into it? Yeah. Yes, why not? Um... Join us on Facebook Live because he's about to talk about Mulan. Yeah, go on. Okay, well, I'll do, talk about Mulan after the news, I think. I need to warm up for that, I reckon. But let's talk about the devil, <laughs> on, the devil all the time. Go on, then. <laughs> well, exactly. You know, you've got to leave him hungry. You've got to tease. <laughs> all right. I don't know why I'm telling you this. You're, you're, the, you're the pro. What have we got, then? Okay, let's talk about the devil all the time, which is a new uh, thriller that's just landed on Netflix, directed by Antonio Campos. This is a real sort of... Uh, ensemble cast, including Tom Holland, Robert Pattinson, Sebastian Stan, um, and, and Bill Skarsgård. Uh, you know, a lot of very sort of familiar faces. Hayley Bennett, Jason Clark, Riley Keough. Yeah. You know, every, almost every significant speaking role in this film is played by somebody you either know or at the very least recognise. Gotcha. Uh, now, what it does is it takes place over sort of about a 20-year period from the end of World War II until the mid-60s in small-town USA. And the action moves back and forth between Ohio and West Virginia uh, in these very sort of small, tight-knit... There's a suggestion that they're almost sort of inbred communities where everybody knows everybody and is connected uh, socially, if not by blood, whether they want to be Probably or not. Probably more than a suggestion, and right? <laughs> well, 
Uh, watch the film to find out uh, who is related to who. Uh, and it, it follows the life of a young guy called Arvin Russell, uh, beginning with the uh, exploits of his father in World War II in the South Pacific and how he is scarred and how he brings those uh, nightmares back to uh, the States with him and how he tries to build a life. Uh, how, the ongoing relationship between the community and religion yep. and how that is very much a, a sort of powerful force and manipulative force on these individuals and how he sort of struggles to survive uh, yet, oh, you know, as he, as he sort of comes into adulthood. Uh, crime is never far, far away. Violence is never far away. Uh, you know, there are suicides, murders, uh, you know, uh, sexual abuse, all kinds of, of nastiness going on. And it's just about the struggle of these sort of young, damaged individuals and uh, how they endure or, in some cases, choose not to. Um, so it's it's got a real sort of almost American Gothic, sort of noirish feel to it. There's a couple of films that it reminded me of, particularly there's The Place Beyond the Pines, by uh, Derek uh, Sion France from a couple of years ago, which had uh, Ryan Gosling and Bradley Cooper in it. And that was one of these sort of sprawling sagas of many, following many generations of the same family, sort of over a sort of a period of decades. That was very reminiscent of that. And also the kind of uh, sort of almost film noir type films, a bit like sort of The Killer Inside Me is a good example, based on a Jim Thompson novel, who also wrote The Getaway, uh, films like that where it's just a sense of sort of mood and dread and danger around every corner. Mm. Um, at times, it's quite a long film. It's, it's about two and a quarter, 2.20, something like that. And at, at times I felt that that sense of, you know, relentless sort of dread and nihilism uh, threatened to suffocate the film. You know, it's pretty sort of miserable and uh, heavy, going but at the same time uh you know every what what's happening to all these characters and how they're interacting uh you know whether they're uh looking for revenge or retribution or whether they are uh there's a couple who are sort of in love uh on the run if you like uh, who are just pr very prolific serial killers uh that could become entangled in in uh, arvin's life uh so whatever what's happening is all quite interesting. If you like a sort of dark, moody crime thriller, there's plenty of that going on. I feel that it lacks sort of an emotional hook. You don't really feel that much sympathy or even empathy for any of these characters. But some of the performances are pretty good. I mean, Robert Pattinson shows up. Like I said, this is an ensemble. It doesn't yeah, yeah. really have a lead as such. But Robert Pattinson sort of shows up as a very uh, dubious sort of small town priest, a sort of preacher who uses his wily charms for, uh, well, for, for bad, shall we say. Really? And he's obviously clearly having a great time. He's got this very sort of raspy voice. and He's playing very much against type. I think he, he's one of these actors who's done a great job of trying to uh, push back against, obviously, his big screen persona from the Twilight films. Uh, my wife made a comment the other day, actually, that everything he's in these days, he just seems to look dirty. <laughs> and I think that is sort of di in direct uh, sort I of pushback from just just how sort of clean and squeaky clean he looked all the time as as Edward the Vampire in Twilight. So I think it's very deliberate. 
Uh, so he's great. I mean, it was interesting to see so many sort of non-Americans play sort of these really American characters. Yeah, you know, like Tom Holland, who's obviously British. Robert Pattinson's British. Uh, Bill Skarsgård is sweet, is what, Swedish. Sebastian Stan, I think, is Czech or Ukrainian or something. Yeah. Uh, you know, but all of these big names. I mean, you've got people like Mia Wasikowska coming on and doing like two scenes before disappearing. Uh, so clearly they were, you know, there was, they were attracted, a lot of people attracted to the material and it has a lot of, um, of weight to it. Uh, it's just how strong your own, your own resilience is to the, the relentless darkness of life and of this story uh, will reflect how much you enjoy it. But I think that's almost the point. Is it any good? That's what I, well, I just said. This is a yes or no question. You're starting. No, brilliant. Uh, let me see now, Peter. Looking forward to watching The Devil all the time this weekend, but that would mean going to the... It won't... Uh, never mind. It's very. No, it's on Netflix. It's very confusing. Uh, all right, then. Sit tight, James. We're going to go and do the news, and we'll be back in just a second. Do join us on Facebook Live. R-T-H-K, Radio 3. Right, James, on we go. Join us on Facebook Live because things are about to get fruity. Or not. <laughs> okay, so Disney's Mulan. This is the latest in a string of uh, live action, big screen adaptations of some of Disney's most successful animated films. Started with uh, Cinderella and the Jungle Book and they've done Dumbo and Aladdin and The Lion King. And for the most part, they have been quite successful at it. Um, and in, in cases like Aladdin, it's been sort of surprisingly good as well. Um, so Mulan is, as, as one knows, is the, is the story of the, uh, the famous Chinese uh, female warrior who took the place of her father, her ailing father, when the emperor called upon every family to, uh, to submit one man from each family to subscribe. Uh, <clears throat> to join the army and to go into into battle and her ailing father was the only choice so she went in his stead and became a rip-roaring success as a as a warrior that's basically the story yeah uh this was animated to you know a fair degree of success in 1998 uh you know it's it's quite it's regarded pretty well not least for its sort of ravishing animated style and you know for the look at the the, the the, the somewhat fantastical version of uh, medieval China that it's um, that it that it reenacted. Uh, some of the songs, particularly reflections, were very uh, remain very popular. And also the talking sidekick dragon Mushu, played by Eddie Murphy. So the film was met with some uh, fans of the film were met with some with some surprise when it was announced that this version of Mulan would scrap all the songs. Very earnest, isn't it? And there would be no dragon, despite the fact that they managed to sort of maintain and incorporate those elements in all of the other versions that they have done. Uh, this was put into production at a time when Me Too was very much sort of the talking point, and I think this was definitely uh, Disney's sort of response to that. And so they thought, okay, what we need is a film about strong women uh, of color, you know, from from an ethnic minority uh, who uh, we can champion. And so we need to get rid of that. And we also realize who's been paying a lot of the bills. 
in this production. Well, we'll that is well, we'll the six thousand million pound gorilla in the we room. Will, we will get to that because there are a number of gorillas all yeah. jostling for our attention. Uh, and you know, it was like at every turn that they 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 could upset somebody, they did. Uh, you know, the love interest in the film is Commander Sheng, who is her sort of. Gen- her general, her commanding officer, if you like. And it was decided ahead of time that in the era of Me Too, uh, having her love, uh, her love interest also be her, her superior in the workplace, if you like, yeah. would be bad. However, what they failed to acknowledge was the fact that over the last 20 years, that character has become something of a sort of an LB... LB uh, LGBT. Why, why am I going blank on? LGBT. Thank you very much. I forgot how to <laughs> LGBTQ. spell LGBTQIA plus etc. Yeah. Um, a bit of a bit of an icon, a bit of a role model, because uh, you know he shows his love for the character of Mulan even when he simultaneously believes Mulan to be a man. Hmm. And so, uh, scrapping that character upset the LGBT community. Uh, and rightly so. And that that role within the film has now been split between two characters. You have her commanding officer now played by the much older and grumpier Donnie Yen. And then um, you have sort of a young comrade in the same um, battalion played by Yosun An, who is just friendly until he realizes that she's a girl. So, you know, they play it very, very, very safe. Now, the yeah, okay, on to the next problem. <laughs> the next problem is that uh, you have lead actress Crystal Liu Yifei, who this was supposed to be her big breakout. You know, she has spent time in the US. Uh, she does speak English very well. She This could have been a great sort of crossover moment for her. Uh, she, on, on, as one, as we all know, expressed a support for the Hong Kong police during the protests last year, which was met rather negatively by... The world. By the world. And uh, was one of many reasons why people started calling on social media for a boycott of mm. this film. Uh, also, a number of the other members of the cast have... Uh, so turn, shall we say, turn their back on Hong Kong in favour of mainland China. Let me ask you a quick question uh, here, James. I mean, no people, when I say the world, I mean it, and people all over the place are complaining, but not necessarily sure. for that reason. Are they basically saying, Disney, you've sold out, we're done with you? Well, yeah, I mean, sorry, as I keep saying, there are so many gorillas to get yeah. to, we, I've got to get to them one at a time. Sure. Uh, so, yes, the next one is that uh, although the film was actually shot predominantly in New Zealand... Uh, some of the key moments and locations uh, w- in mainland China were used, a number of which were in uh, Xinjiang, right? which, as we know, is, is also a hotspot of controversy. Uh, and Disney go to great lengths in the closing credits of the film to thank various governments, uh, institutions of, uh, of Xinjiang, of the region, uh, for their help. And it suggests that, uh, including sort of, Production companies, studios, uh, you know, suggesting the fact that there was a certain degree of participation on the part of the Chinese government in one way or another. Well, it doesn't and suggest that has it's, also... it's, it's in, you know, it's it's there. Yeah. Clear as day. Right. Right. Uh, so therefore, uh, there has been an open letter by a number of lawyers asking Disney to reveal to what degree the, actual, the Chinese government were involved in the production of this film. Uh, but the bottom line is people are upset and are saying that uh, 
Disney are cooperating with a with a region of the country that ha is, is being uh, taken to task. I don't know what the right terminology. We know what you mean, James. Don't worry this, about it. Yeah, it's, it's you know, yeah for human rights violations. There's not much subtlety about this. It's all there. Read the credits and read. It is. It's actually in the credits. Yeah. It's in the credits at the end of the film. So there is a lot going on before we even actually get to the film. And those of us who, you know, professionally need to watch the film, other, other than us, I don't think many people will even bother watching the film. There's been a notable lack of advertising, marketing for the film in Hong Kong. You know, I think people, you know, is for it, one, is there going to be a big resurgence reasons, of the cartoon? That I think I yeah. think that <laughs> might well be the case. I think people will be like, well, I'm not going to go see this Mulan, but while everybody's talking about Mulan, it's fresh in my mind, why don't I revisit the 98 version? And what they will find is it's a very pretty looking, but somewhat quite, you know, fairly middling one of uh, uh, Disney's animated films. Now let's get to actually to this film. Okay. And it it's bad. You know, I forget, forget everything. Forget everything. <laughs> That we have just talked about. And Mulan's you know, the off controversies <laughs> and all the rest of it. It's just a really terrible movie. And I and it it's so much so that you have to kind of look at all the all the people involved, all the people up there on the screen. And there is some heavyweight talent up on screen. You've got Donnie Yen, you've got Jet Li, yeah. you've got Gong Li, you've got Jason Scott Lee, you've got Z Ma, you've got Rosalind Chow, you you've got Cheng Pei Pei, you've got you know, a huge roster of very respectable, very well-respected uh, Chinese performers. Yeah. And you think, did not any of them at any point think to point out that most of what their characters are saying to one another is bobbins, is total nonsense. It's it's not really connected to any actual sort of Chinese system of beliefs or understanding. They talk about chi like it's the force in Star Wars <laughs> rather than, you know... <laughs> Rather than something that you know is is in everybody and that can be used to, uh, you know, to live a to live a health healthier life, yeah. uh, they talk about. I mean, there's a, a, a phoenix. Phoenix I, iconography is very prominent. But my understanding is that the phoenix does not have the same iconography in China that it does in the in the the West. I yeah. mean, it's what Greek mythology, isn't it? That the, the idea of the phoenix rising from yeah, the yeah. flames, the reborn. The reborn. Uh, you know, you've got Gong Li's character, who is sort of this evil sorceress looking to pull the strings of the the enemy warriors from behind the scenes. And you're like, oh, OK, this could be an interesting sort of duplicitous <laughs> potential role model for Mulan, who sort of tempts her towards the dark side. And there is a scene where she is tempted towards the dark side that feels very Star Wars as well. Uh, only for the character to ultimately be sidelined. And you think, well, hang on, this character wasn't even in the original story anyway. And now she's just, it feels that Disney just needed sort of uh, an evil stepmother or something like yeah, that. That's because that Because that's the cookie cutter template that they use for all of these. Um, so Mulan, uh, you know, who was who's supposed to represent this great figure of uh, female empowerment, uh, now not only struggles within a patriarchal society that wants women to know their place and stay there, she becomes a participant in it and by the end an actual enforcer of it. So you're like, well, what, she, what lesson has she learned there? Uh, some of the scenery is quite uh, pretty, but one suspects most of that is actually New Zealand. Um, Which the is costume anyway. design. 
the costume design, makeup design, production design feels very um, artificial. It feels, you know, we were. I was watching it with my wife, uh, who is Chinese, and uh, she was like, well, "What dynasty is this supposed to be set in?" And I was like, "I don't know. I'll have yeah. a look." <laughs> she was like, "What is all this then?" Uh, no, because. Uh, but uh, we looked it up and it's supposed to be during this of the northern and southern dynasties um, however pretty much everything to do with you know production design costume design makeup design uh, has nothing to do with anything specific and is just one suspects a, a bunch of non-Asians sitting in a room many many miles away from Asia going well, let's let's add some more silk I like and that. some more red nice. and some more gold. Need they like lanterns, don't they? Yeah. And you end up with this complete hodgepodge. That if it is if it is from any dynasty whatsoever, it's from Disney dynasty, and it is it feels just like a kind of vaguely Chinese themed theme park ride. Yeah. In as much as it's it's been conjured from the imagination of people who have no idea what they're talking about, nor seemingly do they care. Uh, you know, it has four credited script writers. I think three of them are women, so it's like, bravo, well done. Let me ask you, you a question, James. Bearing in okay. mind absolutely everything you've, you've told us today, is it in some yes. weird way possible that some high-ups at Disney went, oh, for goodness sake, just release the blinking thing? Well, I think that's, I mean, yeah, because yet another of the uh, storms in this particularly large teacup is uh, the way they chose to release the film. Because after all these controversies and, and what with the pandemic and everything else, you know, there wasn't really a clear spot in the release schedule. I mean, Disney haven't released anything, I don't think, in the cinema since, well, March, maybe. And so that when they realized that wasn't an option, they used it as a premium title for their fledgling uh, platform service, Disney Plus. So right now it is only available, certainly in the US, on the Disney Plus platform uh, for current subscribers for an additional premium of, of, I think, $30. Yeah. And that's upset a whole lot of people. It's going to become free uh, to subscribers, I think, in a couple of months' time, when I think non-subscribers can also pay like a one-off uh, in order to watch it. But that's that's another part of it. I mean, here is, you know, is one of the countries where you can. I think because of a lot of the reasons for the boycott, uh, it has been reported that uh, Chinese media on the mainland have sort of pushed back and said, we don't want anybody reporting on the release of this film. And, and the kick, the knock-on effect of that is that when it opened there last weekend, it didn't make any money. And I think you've got to wonder, because surely the reason that Disney made all of this in the first place was to finally get that kind of crossover breakthrough hit, something that would be successful both in mainland China and in the US. You know, well. the East and West could both celebrate. And as it turns out, nobody is celebrating it. Peter says you're being shockingly, shockingly succinct, but he also says husband-wife writing duo of Rick Jaffer and Amanda Silver rewrote a script by two other Americans. Sigh, he says. So that's another thing to add to the eh, nil point box. Yeah. Uh, Gabby says Mulan, eh, maybe just torrent it. <laughs> let's, <laughs> well, let's face no it. comment there. Yeah. No comment there. I think, um, made, I think you've made your point. It's very odd. I, I, I know nothing about this. I just get the impression it was like, get this blinking thing off my desk, says Disney executive number 103B. I, th I think that's, I think it, at, at the end of the day, that is what's happened. But it was a project that I think was in development for so long and that they were clearly at one point incredibly invested in. Oh, yeah. Um, 
but they never thought, uh, you know, what we need is a cultural consultant and a historical consultant who might be Chinese, maybe that might help. Uh, you know, it, so it, it can it refuses to feel anything other than a sort of a Western um, conjured perspective you know with very little actual uh... that kind of can't that kind of uh backs up a little bit what i'm trying to say i mean that it's just like i'll oh, just get on with it i'll just do it whoever whatever kind of thing just get it done so they're not going to say we must get this absolutely pristinely correct sure I don't, it's just a feeling and it's, as, it's, it's, there's so and many bogeymen involved in this <laughs> yeah and as we all know i mean if they genuinely wanted this to appeal to chinese audiences wherever they may be in the world yes it's got to. It's got to be authentic. Why wouldn't particularly they when have... dealing with with like a real a real character? Why, why, and why might they not have wanted? I mean, I don't know. What, but if you, if they didn't want it to appeal to Chinese audience, because it's a classic tale, you know. Right. Well, I okay. Purely speculative. Exactly. Uh, I think they probably. I think they probably explored the option of doing a proper co-production with a Chinese company, and then found uh, too. You know, th there were too many. Uh, insurmountable irre irre the irreconcilable differences yeah you know you gotta remember disney is disney and always wants to be this sort of family friendly uh you know uh you know every everything has to be sort of wholesome yeah. and family oriented yeah, yeah. and i and perhaps there are elements of that or simply that the way that the chinese film industry works they were going to have to relinquish some degree of control over the content or the release strategy or the or the profits or something and in the end they just said well now we'll do it ourselves and, and all because they took the away result. the talking dragon now yep you know you know just just on that just yeah, to finish on, on that on. there is this this kind of animated uh character of a phoenix that sort of follows her along on her journey through the country so just flying behind her and so it was it was almost like the graphic template was there just can you not just make that a dragon just make him who sounds like eddie mouth. murphy yeah. how how hard would that be i i can only wonder what the uh, what the difference would have been we're gonna leave it would it have there. been more interesting to watch that's for sure i think we get the picture there we're gonna leave it there thanks very much james thanks very much for your comments on our facebook live page as peter says shockingly succinct just remind our viewers and listeners what to go and check out or not Oh, okay, right. So I think the most interesting film out this week is uh, The Devil All the Time on Netflix. All right, fair enough. We'll leave it there. Thanks very much for giving us another Marshy movie time here on The Morning Group. Ow.